This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah this morning, if you would, Isaiah chapter 46, as we continue our series entitled, Affliction, Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. If God is in charge, why does so much bad stuff happen? If God is really sovereign, why do I go through difficult times? If God is, knows all and sees all, why do we still struggle? We're answering that question and more uh, today and throughout this series. If you're missing the messages so far, uh, this is message number five in our series as we take a look through this. The first week we took a look at righteous suffering. What happens when I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing what I should be doing and suffering comes? The Bible says that's not unique to you. That happens to everyone and think it not strange, but glorify God through it. The next three weeks, we took a look at uh, God's punishment for sin, God's uh, chastisement for his children. And last week, we took a look at the consequences for our sin. If you missed any of those, get caught up at our uh, podcast or on our church website. Next two Sundays, we're taking a look at the sovereignty of God, what that means and how it relates to our suffering. Uh, And so today, we're taking a look at uh, where is God in our suffering. And next week, we'll be taking a look at kind of along the same lines of that, the sovereignty of God through difficult times. Open House Sunday, we got a brand uh, spanking new message for that. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, and invite as many friends as you can. There'll be a strong gospel presentation that day, as well as some good Bible truth that anyone, regardless of their, their spiritual understanding of the Bible, can pack it up and take it home with them and use it that week. Uh, so that's uh, two weeks from today for our six-year anniversary of church. You will not want to miss that. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and then uh, we're going to continue this uh, series uh, taking a look at suffering, what the Bible says about that. I have a friend uh, who is a pastor, and he uh, preached a series earlier this year uh, about happiness and what the Bible says about happiness and joy and how we can have good times uh, according to the Bible. And all that is is perfectly acceptable, and and we should have a good time. If anybody can have fun, it's Christians, I can tell you that. But most of us don't have a hard time having a good time. Most of us have a hard time when hard times come. How do we get through that? How do we process that? How do we deal with it when difficulty comes? If I'm trying to put Jesus first, I'm trying to walk with God, I'm trying to obey the Bible, I'm trying to do everything that I can the best, why does difficult times still come? Why does disappointment happen? Uh, Later in this series, uh, probably in November, we're gonna take a look at depression in Christians. Is depression a sin? Say, first of all, it's not, uh, but if we go through difficult times, even times of depression, it's okay to be there, you just can't live there. We're going to take a look at how we can come out of that according to the Bible, uh, and we have some helpful resources we're going to put in your hands for that. Uh, but here's the thing. If you're going through a difficult time right now, or you have been, or you're getting ready to go through one, just know this. It's not unique to you. Everybody goes through these things, and the Bible tells us how to walk through these things with God's help and come out on the other side better, stronger, and with joy. Isaiah chapter uh, 46 we're taking a look at today. I do want to say by way of introduction here, I want to give you a caveat of today's message. If you've attended Hui Kala for any length of time or maybe this is your first Sunday, know this, primarily 99 times out of 100, 50 weeks out of 52, we will preach what's known as an expository message where we take up section of scripture and we just stay in that passage and we look at it and we compare it to other parts of scripture, but we stay with that and just go line over line. That's the best way to learn the Bible, uh, expository preaching. When you get the big, huge topics like the sovereignty of God, which is the fact that God is in charge of everything, 
there's so much in the Bible that there's not one passage we can look at and say, this is the sovereignty of God passage. For example, if we were going to talk about love, uh, we would say, hey, where's the most concentrated place that the Bible talks about love? Well, it talks about it from cover to cover, but when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us what love is. Man, we could spend weeks, we have before spent weeks, just in that one passage talking about that. Concepts like the sovereignty of God, there's bits and pieces that are woven throughout all of Scripture that tell us that God is in charge of everything. And so today's message is not going to be an expository message. I want to give you that as a warning because this is not normal here for us. Today's more of a topical in the fact that we're taking a topic, the sovereignty of God, and taking a look at what the Bible has to say about that. You'll notice in your notes this morning, you got a lot of Bible verses from a lot of different passages. Uh, We're going to walk through those this morning, but I do want to give you a caveat before we start today's message. It's not an expository message. This uh, text here is just kind of a jumping off point. Uh, This is not normal for us. This is unique when we come to unique passages like this. Everybody got that? If you got that, nod your head. If you didn't get it, nod your head like this. Good, everybody got it. Good good thing. Isaiah chapter 48 is where we're going to be at. We're going to start in verse number 8. Yea, thou heardest not, thou knewest not, yea, that from the time thine ear was open, for I knew that thou wouldest deal very treacherously and was called a transgressor from the womb. Oh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 46. I was like, that is not right. <laughs> oh, man. Let's try that again. I was like, dealt treacherously from the womb, what? <laughs> Something's not right. Isaiah 46, verse number 8. Everybody got that? All right. Let's try this again. Isaiah 46, verse number eight. Remember this and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. Verse nine is a a verse we should circle, we should star, we should underline in our Bibles because sometimes we just need to remember that God's God and we're not. It seems like a very, very basic concept on the surface But the idea that God is in charge should bring great peace to our hearts. Verse number 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, a man that executeth the counsel from a far country. Yea, I've spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. I remember as a uh, child, I was probably, I mentioned this briefly last week, that um, I remember being in fourth grade and my grandmother had gotten lung cancer. Uh, and they, they did the, all the scans and the lung cancer had spread to her brain and she had brain tumors and they were trying to do radiation and chemotherapy. And uh, my grandmother was in her early 40s, but her health began to decline rapidly and uh, she would begin to forget things and the it was, cancer was really taking a toll on her. I remember as a kid, we didn't really pray a lot other than meals, but we prayed a lot for my, my granny to, to be healed prayed that the cancer would go away, and we prayed that the doctors would know exactly what to do, and that my, my granny would live through this, and so I remember as a, as a nine-year-old boy just hunkering down in my room at night when I would go to bed, and normally I would say, you know, now let me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep, but man, I, at this point, at nine years old, I was just pouring my guts out to God, praying and praying that God would heal my granny. She went to the doctor, and it had gotten worse, and the cancer began to spread, and then as a nine-year-old boy, I heard a word I'd never heard before, it was hospice care. Uh, and I began to be faced with the fact that my, my granny was going to die. Uh, and she did. She passed away. And I remember as a nine-year-old boy thinking in my mind, if God is in charge, why does he allow stuff like this to happen? If God says that if we pray, he'll answer our prayers, why didn't he answer my prayers? And 
I wish that type of situation was just uh, concentrated to a nine-year-old boy's mind, but there's been times throughout my life that I say, God, I'm trying to do everything that I can. Why this? God, if you say that you answer prayer, why didn't you answer this specific prayer? Why didn't you do what I asked you to do? And with a nine-year-old boy's understanding, I had to come to grips with the fact that God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we want him to. And some of you, that might even be a new concept for you here today, but I want you to know this. God doesn't always answer your prayers in the way that you want him to. He answers them according to his, here's our word for the day, sovereignty. When we take a look at the concept of the sovereignty of God, it's this. It's the biblical teaching that God possesses all power and is the ruler of all things, and God rules and works according to his eternal purpose, even through events that seem to contradict or oppose his rule. We call this the sovereignty of God. What it means is that God is in charge. The term sovereignty we generally think of as a ruler or a king or someone who is the, the, the ruler of a particular country who has the final say. We speak of a sovereign kingdom that that has a ruler who has the final say. God all throughout scripture is pictured as sitting upon his throne uh, and he is doing what he chooses to from his throne. And this gives us the idea that God is the king of everything that we have and God rules and reigns in sovereignty, which means that he is in charge. Even when things happen that we would say are bad things that happen. A grandmother dies when a, a little boy prayed for her. We would look at that and we'd say, that's the sovereignty of God at work there. God has a purpose in this. God has a plan in this. And as a nine-year-old boy, and sometimes as a 29-year-old man, I would ask myself the question, what is the purpose in a grandmother dying like that? There can't be anything good to come from that. We look at that and we scratch our heads and we say, well, I believe maybe that God's in charge, but sometimes I feel like he doesn't know what he's doing. And we begin to question God's sovereignty. That line of thinking even leads us sometimes to question the goodness of God. If God is so good, why would he let a child die? If God is good, why would he allow this person to lose their job? If God is good, why can't this marriage stay together? And we begin to question God's goodness because we don't properly understand his sovereignty. It's important to understand verse number nine this morning. We took a look at this by way of introduction. God is God and we are not. Remember the former things from the old, for I am God and there's none none else. I am God and there's none other like me. If you think that you can pray to God and God does whatever you tell him to, you you want a new house and you pray for it and God gives it to you, you want your kids to uh, get rid of the sniffles and you pray it and it happens. You want that job and you pray for it and you automatically get it. Family member gets sick and you pray for them and they get healed. That type of thinking is not God being God, that is you being God. And if you think that you get to call the shots or you get to tell God uh, what happens, you've misunderstood who God is and what God expects from you. Unfortunately, there is a, uh, I would say, perverted section of Christianity in the fact that they believe that they can tell God what to do. Uh, They believe that they can speak and God will make it happen on their behalf. And they begin to say things like, oh, well, I'm not poor. I'm poor because I I think that I'm poor. So I'm gonna say that I'm rich and God has to make me rich uh, because Jesus says, whatever you ask in my Father's name, I'll give it to you. So I'm I'm commanding God to give me a new car and he has to do it because because I I said it. (laughs) You've misunderstood who God is. God is not an idle giver in the fact that he gives you everything that you want when you ask for it so that you can consume it upon your own lust. The Bible said many times our prayers don't get answered because of that. 
God exists to fulfill his purpose and to get himself glory. That's why God exists. Now, a good byproduct of God fulfilling his purpose is he has adopted you and I as sons and daughters if you're a child of God. A good byproduct of that is God wants to do good for you as long as it fits in accordance with his purpose and his plan. But that's a byproduct. That's not the reason God exists. You see, many Christians think that God exists to make them happy or God exists to make you comfortable or God exists to take all of your problems away. Again, you've misunderstood who God is. God exists primarily. This is important to latch on to. If you can get this, this will carry you the rest of your life. God exists primarily for his own glory. Now, that could either be a very, very comforting thought or a very terrifying thought to you. Because now that means that God doesn't exist for me, but I exist for God. It's not about what I can get from God. It's about what I can give to his glory. Wow. That turns everything upside down. You see, the world that we live in says, get what you can get. Live for yourself. Make yourself happy. And unfortunately, some types of Christianity have just bolted onto that idea that our society perpetuates that now God exists to give you all the stuff that you want. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. God wants you to live in a big house. God wants your kids to go to that, that school that they, you've been wanting them to go to. God wants you to drive a brand new car. God doesn't want you to have a flat tire on the side of the freeway. And we just have made God a convenient way to get all the stuff that we want. That's a misunderstanding of Christianity altogether. And so when Christians have this mindset and then they have a flat tire on the freeway, they say, oh, I'm trying to do everything right. Why did God do this to me? And we begin to question God's goodness because we don't understand his sovereignty. God is God and we're not. God is sovereign over all things. There's nothing that takes place on this earth that God is not in charge of. If it rains today, it's because God made it rain today. If your heart continues to beat today, it's because God allows your heart to continue to beat today. But, that same line of thinking can also be troubling. If my kid's heart stops beating tomorrow, who's in charge of that? God is. If I lose my job tomorrow, who's in charge of that? God is. If I get cancer, and they tell me it's bad, and I could die, who's in charge of that? God is. Because God is God, and he is sovereign over all things. Again, we take a look at verse number 10, declaring the end from the beginning. God, here's the thing you have to understand. God has everything already planned out. God has everything already mapped out. From before the worlds were created until the end of the book of Revelation, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, everything is already planned out. We're going to take a look at this next week. It's going to blow your mind. Because if God already has everything planned out from beginning to end, does that mean that you and I really don't have any choice? If God already has everything planned out and God knows how I'm going to die, do I really have a choice as to how I live my life at all? Or am I just going through the motions that God's already set in place? If I, if God already has a plan for my life and God already knows how I'm going to die, would I throw off God's plan by stepping out in front of a bus today and getting hit by it on purpose? Would that throw off God's plan? Or did God already know that I was going to step out in front of a bus and get hit? 
And we begin to ask like a lot of questions. I'm telling you, volumes of books have been written about this idea of God's foreknowledge and God's foreordination. Fascinating, but know this, God is in charge of everything. First of all, God knows what's coming. Nothing takes God by surprise. There's a group of philosopher thinkers who believe that they're known as open theists. If you wanted to waste several hours on YouTube, if you don't already, uh, look up open theists. Basically, they believe this, that you are free to choose whatever you want, and as you choose what you want, God determines how he's going to respond to your choices because God doesn't know what's gonna happen. It's all open in the future. God doesn't have a plan that God goes, oh, snaps, I didn't know he was gonna step out in front of his bus. What do we do now? And we look at that and they go, well, that's crazy. He wouldn't be God. What do you know he wouldn't be God? God is all-knowing. And God has a plan from eternity past to eternity future. And you and I are just a small little speck on that spectrum of time. But here's the beautiful part of that. Our little speck greatly matters to God. That's how awesome God is. So many times when people think of the sovereignty of God and God's eternity past, eternity future plan that he has, and the billions of people that are on planet Earth, we feel insignificant And the psalmist even did as well because he said, God, who is man that thou art mindful of him? God, why do you even think about me? Like, what would cause you to think of me? God loves you dearly and your life is important to him, but your life is part of fulfilling his grand purpose that he has. He knows the end from the beginning because he wrote the story. He has a plan, and he has a plan even through your suffering. When God knows what's coming, we call this God's foreknowledge. If you're taking notes, I don't think there's a place to write it down, but to decide to write foreknowledge. It means God already knows what's coming, and know this, you don't know what this week is gonna bring you, and it might bring trials. It might bring testing of your faith. It might bring difficulties and suffering, but know this, God already knows that. And God has prepared the resources that you need to make it through that. God knows what's coming. This is God's foreknowledge. But here's a part that, again, for us as as human beings can struggle with this idea. God not only knows what's coming, God has planned what is coming. God doesn't just know what's gonna happen. God's already planned it. We call this God's for purpose, F-O-R-E purpose. This means that God has a plan. To go back to our opening story, God had a purpose for my granny. He had a purpose for her life. He had a purpose for her death. And God fulfilled that purpose through her. There are days where I know exactly what that purpose was. There's days that I question what the purpose was, but I know this, God is in charge, God knows, and God planned it. He planned for my grandmother to die of lung cancer in her early 40s. He did. How can you say that God is still good? Because God brought some really good stuff from that. Because God is always good. We'll never be able to fully process the sovereignty of God and the purposes of God and the foreknowledge or the foreordinance of God or the forepurpose of God. We'll never be able to process that because we are not on God's level. You and I see just a small portion of life 
we look at life with tunnel vision. I see this stuff because it, it directly affects me. I don't see all that other stuff out there because it doesn't affect me. Man, uh, we, we used to live in Ever Beach back in the uh, early 2000s. And man, I could tell you every single light on Fort Weaver Road and how long it would take to get from one to the next. And if you left 15 minutes before, you could, you could get into this area quicker. So 15 minutes later, you might as well pack a lunch because you're gonna sit there all day. And I'm telling you this, I became an expert at traffic on Fort Weaver Road, like expert. Anybody wanted to know how long it would take to get to somewhere in town, I could tell you almost down to the minute. This was before Waze. This was before Google Maps. This was just a really smart dude, right? Why is that funny? Why is it? Anyways. Do you know what I know about the the traffic on Fort Weaver Road now? Nothing. I don't care. I don't even know if Fort Weaver Road's still there. I know it is, but I don't know, and I don't care. You know why I don't drive it? Because it doesn't affect me. When we look at life, we look at life with just what affects us. Well, why did this happen to me? Why didn't I get my way? Or sometimes we begin to look over the fence at other people and we go, why is he so blessed but I'm suffering? I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm going through a rough spot. This guy over here hates God, denies the existence of God. But again, we don't understand God and who he is. We don't understand God's foreknowledge or God's forepurpose. There's nothing that takes place outside of God's plan and purpose. Nothing at all. God is sovereign over everything. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing happens by accident. From the very beginning of time, from the beginning of creation, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God already had a plan on how man would be redeemed from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. God knew that his son, Jesus, would come, be born of a virgin, and die on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind because he had already foreordained it. And Adam and Eve, they made a mess of everything for the entire human race. I would agree with that statement. But God already knew that they were gonna make a mess of it, so he made a way to clean up the mess. He already knew that you would sin against him. And so he made a way for you to be saved through his son, Jesus. He knew that you would break his commandments. He knew that you would break his law. He knew that you would rebel against him. And he knew that you would sin and separate your relationship from him. So he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you could be saved. He already knew. He already had it planned out. As we take a look at, again, this is where we begin to get topical in nature in this message. We understand that God is sovereign over nature. Everything that happens in nature, God intended to happen. What about that hurricane that killed people? God had a purpose in that. God had a plan in that. And it didn't happen by accident. It happened by God's foreknowledge and God's forepurpose. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and not one of them shall fall to the ground without your father. A farthing is a quarter of a penny. You could buy two birds for a quarter of a penny. But those birds that are worth less than a cent are of great value to God and not one of them falls to the face of the earth without God going, I knew that bird was getting ready to fall. I planned it to. God knows he's sovereign even over the things of nature. 
Jesus in the, uh, on the Sea of Galilee with his apostles, and the winds and the waves came up. And they said, Jesus, you're just laying there asleep. Do something. And he said, peace be still. And the Bible says that the wind and the waves calmed themselves because Jesus is God, and he is sovereign over nature. Take a look at Jonah. Jonah is full of the sovereignty of God. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, God commanded a whale to swallow him. It says here in this passage, a great fish. Jesus says in the, in the Gospels, though, that it was a whale that swallowed him. God commanded a whale to swallow Jonah. And people sometimes say, do you really believe that a whale could swallow a man and he could live in it for three days? I do. Based on what? Based on the Bible. God's word is true. If, if the Bible says it, it happened. Simple as that. Well, isn't that blind faith? No, that's faith in something that's greater than me. It's faith in God's word. And we are biblicists. We interpret the Bible literally. If God says Jonah was in the belly for three days, he was in the belly for three days. Some people have tried to allegorize that and say, well, he was just in a really dark place for three days and overcome with his own grief. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was in the belly of a whale for three days, and I really believe that he was. And when it came time, God commanded the whale to spit him up on dry land. Jonah's looking over the city of Nineveh, Jonah chapter four, verse number six, and the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah so that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. God says, hey, Jonah, I see you're kind of hot out there. I'm gonna put a gourd up here to give you some shade. And God caused a gourd to grow to give a guy shade in the middle of a day. <laughs> but then, just the next verse, but God prepared a worm, and when the morning rose the next day, it smote the gourd that it withered. It came to pass that when the sun did rise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished himself to die, and said, it's better for me to die than to live. So here's Jonah. He's happy one day. He's chilling. He's got shade. The next day, he's hating life and wants to die. Why? Because of the gourd that dried up. Who caused the gourd to dry up? God did because he's sovereign over all things. And here's the crazy thing. God knew that when that gourd died, that Jonah was gonna get angry about it. And he knew that what Jonah's response would be to that because God is sovereign. Psalm 147, verse number 15, he sendeth forth his commandment upon the earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow and the waters to flow. God's in charge of everything in nature that you and I see because he's sovereign. Things as simple as changes in the weather, God is already aware of them. Things as simple as droughts, God's aware of that. God caused it to happen because it fulfills God's purpose. Again, we look short-term at God's purpose and we don't understand, but when we look long-term, sometimes step back a little bit further, we can begin to see God's sovereign hand at work. God's also sovereign over human actions. Oh man, next week we're gonna take a look at the question, does God do evil? I think most of us would say, God can't do evil, God can't sin, that's for sure. That's a, that's a Bible fact right there. But here's the question, does God create evil? Does God send evil? Does God allow evil to happen? Does God promote evil to happen? Man, these are some heavy, heavy Bible uh, truths that you and I need to latch onto if we're gonna fully understand what suffering looks like in light of the scriptures. But God's sovereign over human actions. 
Take a look at Exodus chapter 14, verse number 17. Behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them and get me honor upon Pharaoh and all of his hosts, upon the chariots and upon his horsemen. If you read through the story of the Exodus, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and God told Moses uh, to go lead them out of Egypt. And God continued to mess with Pharaoh's heart. He hardened Pharaoh's heart again and again. And even after Pharaoh said, fine, you can leave. Now, why did Pharaoh allow him to leave? Because God killed the firstborn son in every household in Egypt. Well, well, in a case like that, would you say that God did something really bad? Killing the firstborn child of every household? We would look at that and go, wow, that's pretty harsh, huh? Killing children? But then when we step back and look, why did God do that? So that the children of Israel could be let out of Egypt? So that they could go on to the promised land? And what would the end result of that be? Them going into the promised land? Eventually a child would be born in a city called Bethlehem? Why did that happen? Because they left Egypt. How did they get out of Egypt? They got out of Egypt by God sending the death angel. You look back at that and you go, that instance in the, you look at that by itself, you say, that's a terrible thing that took place. Which when you read through the, the story of the Bible, you say, what a beautiful story of redemption came from that one act that took place there. Again, when we step back and can look at the Bible as a whole, we can see God's sovereign hand at work. In this case here, after, even after they had left Egypt, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh says, get those slaves back here. We're not letting them go that easy. And Pharaoh went out after them. Again, take a look at verse number 17 in your notes there. I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They shall follow them. Why? Because God says, I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts and upon his chariots and all of his horsemen. God says, I want Pharaoh to go after the children of Israel. And if you remember, they stood at the Red Sea and they couldn't pass and the enemy army is closing in on them and there was great fear amongst the children of Israel. And they begin to even question God. God, why would you lead us out in the middle of the wilderness just to die? Couldn't we at least die in Egypt? And you look at that and you go, wow, why would God cause such great fear there? Because God showed one of the greatest deliverances and victory in all of biblical history that day. When he parted the Red Sea and allowed them to walk through on dry land, but when the, the Egyptians came after them, the seas closed in and drowned everybody. Why did God do that? So that God's name could be made great. Psalm 75, verse number six says, for promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor the south, but God is the judge he putteth down one and setteth up another. That's a verse that some of you should, should circle, star, underline in your Bible. You know what that means? When somebody gets promoted at work, who did that? God did it. When somebody gets demoted at work, who did that? God did it. I don't know about you guys, but I've worked with people before that have gotten promoted that I thought to myself, how on earth did that happen? That knucklehead of all people? Are you kidding me? There's like, nobody see what's going on here? Who did that? God did it. Why didn't I get promoted? Because God didn't want me to. Why did I get demoted? Because God wanted me to. Because God is sovereign over everything that takes place. Know this, whatever you're going through today, I want you to know that you're going through that here because God intended it for you right now. And even if this is a mess that you've created for yourself, 
which many times that is one of the major causes of our own suffering. Know this, God is faithful through that and he has a purpose and a plan in your suffering, in your difficulty, and he wants to bring you through it on the other side because God's sovereign over everything. Daniel chapter two, verse number 21, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge unto them that know understanding. I don't know what you think about our current president, and frankly, I really don't care. This is not a political talk. And if you think that change in America is going to come by way of politics, you are misinformed of how God works. But know this, you should pray for your president. You should respect and honor the office of the president. The Bible tells us to do that. We're to obey them that have rule over us, and we're to give honor to a position, not necessarily a person. I believe he's done some terribly dishonorable things. I believe every president we've ever had in human history has done some terribly dishonorable things. We should pray for them. We should respect their office. And you know why he's the president? Because God put him there. Not like Donald Trump is God's chosen man for America, like I've heard people say. It's not what I'm saying. That's crazy talk. I'm saying the Bible says that God setteth up kings and taketh down another. And it's working according to God's plan. And you might look at this and go, well, what's his plan to do something like that? I don't know. I really don't. When you begin to look at all the people that are candidates for the next presidential election, I'm not greatly encouraged by that. But I'm not encouraged by politics either. I'm encouraged by God's people following God's word to do God's work. That encourages me. But whoever's in office, you know why they're there? Because God put them there. I hope you pray for our mayor. I hope you pray for our governor. I think they've both been guilty of doing some pretty foolish things. Probably didn't do it the way that I would want things done, but I want to pray for them and I want to respect them. Had the opportunity to, to meet uh, Governor Abercrombie one time. Uh, was parked out in front of our church. I went out and I said hello to him and invited our church. I said, I just want you to know that our church prays for you. And he was like, wow, thanks. You know, I didn't tell him what I thought about this or that or whatever law or what policy. Nothing. I said, hey, I just want you to know that our church prays for you. Wow, thanks. Because he was in office because God put him there. Everything works according to God's plan. Again, we don't have to understand it. We just have to know that God's at work. Proverbs chapter 21, verse number one, the king of the heart, uh, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth whithersoever he will. Psalm 33 says, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever in the hearts, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Bottom line, God's in charge even over what people do to you or with you or against you. God's in charge of that because he's in charge of all human action. Now again, did God send you a coworker to be a jerk to you? Probably not. But God knew that you'd have a coworker who was a jerk and he's gonna give you the resources that you need to make it through it. God knows what's coming your way and he has a plan and a purpose for it. And sometimes people say, well, we might not know this side of heaven what the purpose of that is. I don't even know that we'll know in heaven what the purpose of it is. Because I really don't think when I get to heaven and I get to see Jesus Christ face to face, my Savior who died for my sins, who gave his life for mine, and I bow at his feet in worship, I'm gonna ask him, hey, that test I had in college that one time where they had questions on there that we didn't study, what was that about? <laughs> Just get that out of the way and I can enjoy heaven, right? I don't think that's gonna happen. Why not have a coworker who's a jerk to me and did things that weren't unkind? I don't think I'm gonna ask those questions when I see Jesus. I'm going to be glad to be in his presence forever. 
And so I don't know that we'll have the answers that we need for this other than the fact that God is in charge and he knows what, where you are and what you're going through. Here's the part that I want to encourage you, that God is sovereign even in trials. <clears throat> when you receive news that you didn't want to receive, know this, God is sovereign. When things happen that you didn't expect, know this, God is sovereign. Exodus chapter four, verse number 11, the Lord said unto Moses, who made man's mouth and who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now, God was talking to Moses there and he said, Moses says, I can't go talk to Pharaoh. Uh, I don't speak very well. And God says, who made your mouth? But God also opens up something about his sovereignty in this case here as well. Who made the blind kid? God did. Who made the deaf kid? God did. So many times I, I see parents say, well, you know, they're, they're, they're pregnant, they're having a baby. And they say, well, I don't care what it is as long as it's healthy. Well, what if it's not healthy? It doesn't matter if it's a boy or if it's a girl, as long as they got 10 fingers and 10 toes. What if they don't? What if you have a child with serious health issues? What then? And every time we've ever had a, a child, there's been some type of drama in it with the, the health of the child or the health of my wife uh, and things like that. Every single time, we have one child who is in the, the, the NICU. We had another child who, uh, during the uh, ultrasound, they couldn't find the, uh, the face of the child. They began to run all kinds of tests and things like that. Another child who is at great risk of Down syndrome. And we just said, whatever God does is what God does. And if God chooses to give us a child, we'll praise him for it. If God doesn't give us a child, we'll praise him for it. For Angela and I, we had, uh, uh, our, our children, uh, for those of you that don't know, our, our daughter Tallulah turns two this week. I don't know how it went like that. She turns two this week. Our daughter Makili uh, just turned 11. Uh, our son Vanderlei is 17. Our oldest son Thatcher is 25. So 25 to two years old, that's our family. That's how crazy our life is. And sometimes people ask, well, well, why didn't you put them closer together? Why'd you space them out by seven years? And we say, well, that's just how God did it. Well, no, 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 I know that. But like, like, why didn't you do something differently? You don't understand. That's how God did it. It wasn't for a lack of trying or planning or we didn't know what we were doing or you know, pregnancies take us <laughs> by surprise, you know? People are like, do you understand how this works? Yes, we do. We do, I promise. And, but every single time, it just didn't happen. We went through, I would venture to say, probably close to a dozen miscarriages during that period of time. And I want to pause for just a second here. Don't, it's always inappropriate to ask somebody, hey, why don't you guys have kids? Or when are you going to have kids? Or when are you going to give uh, your, your, grand, your, your parents a grandkid or something like that? It's always inappropriate to ask questions like that because you never know what God is doing in his sovereignty. And there were times where people asked us, like, when are you guys going to have another kid? That it broke our heart because we're trying everything we know under this sun for God to give us another child, but he just chose not to for whatever reason. Why? Because God's sovereign. After, um, so we had, we had prayed and asked God and begged God, really, for, for another child, and we never did after Makili, and we thought we were done. And um, Angela and I were at the Starbucks in, in Kapolei one morning having coffee together, and there was a, a mom that walked in with her daughter. She was probably maybe two years old or so. And she walked in and just absolutely adorable. And, and I looked at my wife and I said to her, this was probably, I'd say, four years ago. I said, I don't regret anything in life, but I think one day I'll regret that we never had one more kid. And she said, really? Said, yeah, really. And she says, she says, I'm open to giving it a shot one more time. I said, let's just try one more time. 
That's what we did. And every, every month rolled around and we weren't pregnant. And we just began to ask a lot of questions. Like, well, maybe it's just not our time. Maybe it's not what God wanted. Uh, and things like that. We'd even began to look into uh, adoption or, or something along those lines, doing a, a home study and going through the process of that. Uh, and, and so we began to just pray and ask God for, for direction on that. And, and man, the second we decided that we're going to stop putting so much focus, time, and energy into to having a child, God just came, became pregnant. And she said, I'm pregnant. I said, There's no way. She's like, way. Nine years between our last child and that one. Probably a seven-year period of lots of prayers and fasting and begging and asking and miscarriages and disappointments and frustrations and questions, hurt feelings, questioning God. But this one thing kept us going all the time. God's sovereign. God knows what he's doing. God has a plan. God has a purpose in this. And through your suffering, God is sovereign over that. And imagine our surprise, excitement, when God gave us Tallulah, our fourth, fourth and final. And people said, and then people began to say things like, whoa, I guess you guys kind of figured out how that worked, huh? Or we had somebody say, wow, guess you didn't have that one planned. It's like, no, actually we've been planning for about eight and a half years, just waiting on God's timing. And God chose to, to give us another child. Why? Because God's sovereign and stuff like that. God is always in charge, even in the midst of our hurt and our suffering. John chapter 9, verse number 1, Jesus sets the apostles straight. See a blind boy there, and Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Did he sin as a baby, that he, that's why he was blind, or did his parents sin? And Jesus answered and said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Jesus says, you guys got this wrong. This trial is not a punishment for them because they did something wrong. This trial is an opportunity for God's glory. And you and I look at our trials many times and go, wow, what did I do to deserve this? And God says, no, 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 this is for my glory. Man, God's given us another child to raise for his glory. I praise God for that. But, but through the trials that we experience in life, we can see that God's sovereign. And the sovereignty of God, even in trials, will carry you further than you can imagine. Just knowing that God's in charge. There are times when my wife was crying and said, I don't understand this. And I say, I don't either, but I know that God's in charge. There were times where I didn't have good pastoral advice to give to my wife. But I just said, I don't get it, but I know that God's in charge. And God's sovereignty is enough. The sovereignty of God takes care of so many problems like that. Like, I don't understand it, but I know that God put it here on purpose, and man, we're just going to walk through this and allow God to get the glory from it. How about that? Because sovereignty puts a different spin on everything that the world says, oh, this is terrible, oh, this is an awful thing. No, this is God just doing God things. I want you to know this if you're walking through a trial. God is faithful in times of suffering. Many times people will text me, if you read the text messages on my phone, some of the most heartbreaking things I've ever read in my entire life. And I want to bear the burdens with you. So if you're going through a trial, I want to know about it, good, bad, or otherwise. I want to know because I want to walk with you through it. But many times I'll text back and say, I'm praying for you, God is faithful. And that's not just a cute little catchphrase that I tag on to the end of my text messages. It's the real deal. God's faithful. He's never failed you. He's never let you down. 
And if you walk with him, you'll never be disappointed. Just trust him. He's always good. If you're taking notes right out to the side, there's Psalm 18. Beside God is faithful. Man, that's a great psalm to run to. If you're going through a difficult time, read through the psalms, mega dose on the psalms. Oh, my word, they're going to be such great help and comfort to you as you walk with God through times of difficulty and suffering. But when it comes to the sovereignty of God and our suffering, we need to have the right perspective. You see, the unsaved man or the carnal Christian measures God's love by worldly standards. If you're here today and you're not a child of God or you're here today and you're not walking with God the way that you should, you're not looking at your trials from the right perspective. The unsaved man or the carnal Christian looks at superficial results. Hey, are my bills paid? Hey, am I healthy? Hey, do I have a good job that pays a good wage? Hey, am I liked by my coworkers? Hey, do I have a nice car? Hey, am I gonna be able to take a good vacation this summer? And if the answer to any of those is no, maybe God's mad at me, or maybe God's not doing what, what, uh, for me what I think that he should. And we measure by these superficial results that we have that God needs to meet. Many times we look at our trials with a short timeline. We don't understand that there's a purpose much greater. We look at things with superficial results or a short timeline uh, just this week. God needs to make things better this week. Man, if God doesn't do something in the next 24 hours, I don't know what I'm gonna do. You're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Your suffering was not something that was brought to you to last for a couple hours and then you pray once and get over it. Your suffering was meant to fulfill God's purpose in your life. Your suffering was meant to make you stronger, to make you better, to strengthen your faith. It wasn't coming about just to get over in 24 hours. wrong perspective looks at suffering with a disconnected purpose none of this really matters none of this really connects together i've known people before who said pastor nothing ever works out for me everything always fails everything falls apart i don't know why that is you're looking at it from a disconnected purpose and just know whatever's going on at work affects whatever's going on at home affects what's going on in your heart affects what's going on with your walk with God. It's all connected. But we, we compartmentalize. Oh, my coworkers hate my guts. I don't know why this is. Oh, man, I, my marriage is struggling. I don't know why this is. And we look at everything as disconnected and disjointed. But you see, the spirit-filled Christian measures God's love by eternal standards. If I'm walking in the spirit the way that I should, I'm going to see my suffering from a different perspective. I'm going to see that my situation has eternal results. I don't want my life to be better this week. I want God's glory to be made great for all of eternity. I'm not looking for what I can get from God this week. I'm looking for what type of fruit I can have in heaven one day. I'm not looking how I can get out from under this suffering that I'm going through. I'm looking for a way that I can make God's name great in the middle of my suffering because it's not about me. Spirit-filled Christian also deals with things in an eternal timeline. Hey, things are not great for me this week, but I know that this is just a small fraction of eternity. And God's got a plan, and this must just be part of his plan. I'm gonna trust him through it. I'm gonna be faithful through it. Spirit-filled Christian recognizes that their suffering has a unified purpose, the glory of God. 
hey, if I'm struggling in my marriage, God wants it to be made better for the glory of God. If I'm struggling at the workplace, God wants it to be better for his glory. If I'm experiencing a health trial, I wanna praise God with every breath that I have on planet Earth because I realize there's much more at stake than just Anthony King in the brief period of time he, he walks the planet. Everything is about the glory of God. That's why the Bible says whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Hey, if you eat a sandwich this week, eat a sandwich to the glory of God. What? How do you eat a sandwich to the glory of God? I don't know. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you sit down at a meal by yourself and you want to pray, but you look around to see if anybody else is watching you while you pray. There's times where you just bow your head and you don't care who sees. That's eating a sandwich to the glory of God, I think. There's been times I've been in a restaurant that I've stopped by at somebody's table that I did not know and said, hey, I saw you pray. Good on you. Keep it up. I want to encourage them. Whatever you do this week, do it to the glory of God. You can go to work this week and do it to the, your, your best work to the glory of God. You're a student, you're in school, you get to go to school this week and do your best for the glory of God, not so that you can uh, get a, another tassel on your, your, your gown at graduation. Nobody cares about that stuff. Your grandma might, but look, I realize there's a greater purpose at work. And I want to do what's right because I want God to be glorified through that. A few thoughts and then we're done. First of all, all suffering is meant to drive us to utter dependence upon God. If you're going through a difficult time, it's because God wants you closer. Well, I'm already close to God, closer than you've ever been in your entire life. I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my entire life. Good, then hunker down and dig deeper. My dad uh, owns some farmland in Kentucky and he farms cows because he found out that the government gives subsidies to people who have livestock. That's the only reason my dad decided to be a cattle farmer because he could get over on the man. Uh, so uh, he bought some cows and he puts them out on a pasture there. And from time to time, he has to move them from pasture to pasture uh, and he loads them up in the back of a truck. And I, I asked my dad, I said, how do you get these big, huge, stubborn animals to get in the back of a trailer hooked to the back of a pickup truck? And he said, you take them in the field that they're in, you chase them down to the field and then you fence it off. You shut the gate. You drive them a little bit further and then you shut the gate. Then at the end, you have a fence that funnels them down into the back of a trailer and you push them down through that to the point where they have nowhere else to go but the back of a trailer. And I thought to myself, that's what God does to his children. Your trial right now, God's closing off that other pasture for you to get to where you need to be. And God's getting ready to close off that pasture to get you over to where you need to be to the funnel that he can get you in the back of the trailer. Thankfully, he's not going to take you to the slaughterhouse yet. But um, the idea is there. God's pushing you towards himself. But you know what many times we do in the midst of trials? We kick and we try to run out the pasture. We try to knock down the fence to get away from God. It's the opposite. God's causing you and you're suffering to drive into him. All suffering is meant to accomplish God's ultimate purpose. God's ultimate purpose is his glory. And all suffering is meant to give God glory. I don't have time to tell you the whole story today, but I'll give you the, the Cliff's Notes version of it. My grandmother that passed away was actually my grandfather's, probably his third wife, I think it was. She was a stepmom to my mom. 
My mom grew up in the home of an alcoholic, abusive father. Her mother was abusive. They divorced. He remarried a couple times. This one lady that he remarried, Patsy was her name. I called her Granny. She was a young lady that had married an alcoholic, abusive guy with some kids that he didn't care for. And she made a decision to take my mom and her sisters to church. She took my mom to church with her, and my mom got saved. My mom, while she was at church, met a young guy who was there who also grew up in an alcoholic, abusive home. His name was Jimmy, my dad. So my mom got saved, and she met my dad because she went to church, and she got taken there by my grandmother, my granny, who was her stepmom. My grandfather and her divorced like he did every other wife that he ever had, but we still kept in touch with, with my granny. We still went over to her house and spent time with her and stuff like that. My granny encouraged my mom and my dad to be in church. That's all she really needed, just, hey, keep going to church, keep trying to do the right thing. And when my mom and dad got married, they made a decision that if God gives them children, that they were going to have the kids in church every single week. That's me. I was in church every single week because of an investment that my granny had made into my mom's life. I'm here today sharing the truth of God's word with you because my parents raised me in church, taught me to do the right thing, and told me to follow after God. That happened because my grandmother had told them that they needed to do that. So when you look back at life now, I don't know, 30-something years later, you can see that we're all here this morning in this specific room today because of my grandmother. And you look and you go, she fulfilled her purpose. She met the reason why she came to this earth. And now we can look forward and say, hey, God's gotten a lot of glory from that. Hey, her life was cut short, we might say. Nope. It was God's perfect timing because God is sovereign over all things. There's a quote in your notes here that I read that absolutely blew me away several years ago. I filed it away and and I came back to it. A true recognition of God's sovereignty will allow God's perfect right to do with us as he wills. The one who bows to the pleasure of the Almighty will acknowledge his absolute right to do with us as seemeth him good. If he chooses to send poverty, sickness, domestic bereavements, Even while the heart is bleeding at every pore, it will say, shall thou not judge of the earth, do right. Often there will be a struggle for the carnal mind remains in the believer to this end of his earthly pilgrimage. But though there may be conflict within his breast, nevertheless, to the one who has really yielded himself to this blessed truth that there will presently be heard that voice saying of old, it is said in turbulent Gennesaret, which is a sea gallery, Galilee, Peace, be still. The tempestuous flood within will be quieted, and the subdued soul will lift a tearful but confident eye to heaven and say, Thy will be done. Hey, when you can latch onto the sovereignty of God, whatever you're going through, you can say, God, you know what's best. Hey, God, you're in charge. Hey, God, you're going to have to give me the strength I need to get through this because I can't make it on my own. God, you know what's right, you know what's good, and you know what's best for me. And I trust you. The question is today, do you trust in the sovereignty of God? I'm telling you this, for the Christian, it is one of the greatest hopes that we have in all of the Bible that God is in charge and he is working for his glory on our behalf. 
most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you are saved, do not leave here without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven, that heaven is your home, that you are a child of God. If you don't know that, please see me after the service. I'd be more than happy to have someone show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you are saved. That is what brings eternal hope in God. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.